Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Gay, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And Dominique, astounding as it may seem, and it does seem to me quite astounding, that is apparently the 250th time I've given that introduction. That is to me absolutely astounding yeah. that we have done 250 episodes. And here we are. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. I would really have to go back and look and see how long. I mean, obviously, we've been doing it for a while. And I'm pretty good at getting an episode out post every week. But I know there have been a few times when we haven't. But 250 episodes. Yes. What it tells you is there's a lot to talk about when it comes to horses. Because we've only scratched the surface. So... Maybe by the time we've done another 250, we'll have scraped a little bit more of the frost off the tip of the iceberg. But to mark this milestone, because you need to do something special when you get to 250. So what we've done today is invited some of the regulars from the online clinics to come and join us in a conversation. We've done that before and it was really great fun. So today we have joining us, we have Svenja from Germany, we have Sonia from Germany, and they've both been in the podcast before. We have Lucy Butler, who has been in our panel discussion, and also we've done podcasts with Lucy with her experiences as a classroom teacher. And so we're really looking forward to jumping in and having a, a really in-depth conversation. So, Lucy, you were saying that you definitely came with something that you hope that we want to talk about. So jump in and go for it. Okay. I, in our last coaching session, we talked about the difference between when we might be developing a movement or a behavior in more of the spirit of a Feldenkrais exploration, where we're actually inviting the horse to explore their movement, you know, through, through the process, rather than maybe putting something in under stimulus control. So I thought that was so compelling. And I've been exploring that with my horses. And I've had all kinds of other popcorning thoughts related to it, not just the sort of evocative idea that the horses too could benefit from the kind of cycles of movement that we do in Feldenkrais, but that like the idea that the cues develop out of the shaping process, that you could also start to, you know, what could start as a Feldenkrais experience with the animal could eventually lead to stimulus control. And it would be a greater, clearer, better stimulus control rather than jumping right to that kind of you know, outcome oriented thinking, but rather letting something, giving something even more space to evolve. So I've been thinking about that a lot and playing with it a little bit with my horses right now with leg flexions. And it's been really interesting, even since the last coaching, some little developments. So that's, that's fascinating to me. (laughs) So let's, let's set the stage a little bit. And because we're sort of jumping in, in a sense, into the middle of a conversation. Yeah. People listening may not have a clue what we're talking about. So let's start with the description of the leg flexions. 
as an exercise. We'll focus on the front legs. You're asking the horse to pick up a front foot and to bring his knee up so that his knee comes up and his upper leg is roughly parallel with the ground. Some horses can get that high, other horses can't. But you're asking for the knee to come up and it's a preparation for a lot of things. It's a preparation for foot care because it certainly makes it easier when you are asking a horse to pick his own foot up, it makes the foot care so much easier. And generally, when you're thinking about foot care, you would be thinking about stimulus control. You can also use the leg flexions to prep the horse for something like Spanish walk, where instead of folding the leg back, the horse extends his leg. I use leg flexions a lot as a balance exercise for my horses that really helps them to maintain their core and to lift their back and to lift their shoulders. And so it's a great prep. It's a great gymnastic for riding prep, for working with in-hand work. And so when I'm looking at it from that perspective, I'm looking at it much more from the Feldenkrais perspective where I'm asking and inviting the horse and helping the horse to explore his own balance. And Sonia, I know you've explored leg flexions with Winsy. And Svenja, I think you've explored leg flexions with Darian. Is that correct? Just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. So let's just describe how most of us were taught to teach a horse to pick up his feet. So in most of us probably had the experience of being taught that you run your hand down the horse's leg and you kind of lean a little bit into the horse's shoulder with your shoulder. And depending upon the horse, you pry the foot up with more or less prying involved, depending upon the horse, your background, the instructions you've been getting and where you are in this whole learning curve of positive reinforcement. But certainly when I was taught, there was a lot of, you run your hand down the horse's leg, you lean against the horse, he shifts his balance over, and then you pry the leg up and hope that you can hold on to it. And it works. You know, that's how most horses have been taught to pick up their feet. So when we want to reteach a horse so that we get a horse who is really comfortable having his feet picked up, is eager to pick up his feet, understands his balance so that he can pick up his feet without leaning onto you for support, all of those things. We teach it in a different way. And by teaching it in a different way, you are bypassing all the old cues, all of the old teaching process that may have some unwanted emotional baggage associated with it. Where yes, the horse is picking up his feet, but he's not going, oh, you want me to pick up my foot? Here it is. I'm just so delighted to play the foot game. So what I tend to do is I, I start at the horse's elbow and I'll put my hands one on either side of the horse's elbow. And you're, with your hands there, it's just your fingertips now are against the horse's skin. And they're sort of right, it's like a groove on either side. 
that you, your fingers just sort of fit into. And you can feel for very subtle shifts in the horse. So when he takes a breath, you may feel the shoulder lift up. And as his shoulder lifts, you click, you take your fingers away, you give him a treat. And pretty soon what you have is a horse who is lifting his shoulder more and more and more. So instead of leaning down onto his leg, he's lifting his shoulder up. And as he lifts his shoulder up, his knee begins to come forward. And as his knee comes forward, you can then take, if say you're on the left side of the horse, you can then take your left hand. And so you cue at the shoulder, the knee comes up, and then you do what is essentially body part targeting, where you are clicking as the palm of your hand meets the horse's knee. And you develop that so that instead of you taking your hand to the horse's knee, the horse is begins to bring his knee to your hand. And from there, you can then move to the horse's foot if you want. So you can get the horse so that he targets his foot to your hand. And as he targets his foot to your hand, he'll leave it there longer, longer, longer. And what you have is a horse who understands the cues. Oh, you, you want me to lift my shoulder. You want me to bring my knee to the palm of your hand. I'm looking for your other hand to rest my foot in. So it's a targeting exercise as it evolves. And you have a horse who is picking up his own foot. And that allows you to explore his balance and to really help him to develop his balance further. So you've been exploring that with your horses and you have the three horses so you might give a quick description because they're so very, very different, Rowan, Neven, and Pearl. So introduce us to your three. So, yeah, so I have the three, Rowan, Neven, and Pearl, and Pearl is a mini, and she's got locking stifles in the hind and came to me just in December, fairly underweight and under-muscled. So she's definitely a horse that can benefit from all of the leg flexion in benefits that she talked about, but she also didn't want to lift her feet for the trimmer for me. So we needed everything he just described for Pearl. Yep. Rowan is a senior mare with some back issues and some hock arthritis and definitely like well, well trained in a traditional method. So I never had any trouble like asking her to lift her feet for cooperative care or anything like that, but she definitely stands to benefit from all the physical benefits of leg flexions as she ages. And then Neve is also new to me and came underweight and trained and handled in a, I'm guessing a traditional fashion. And she's just a bit anxious, I would say about lifting her feet, but would do it. And so she came sort of closer to Pearl needing, she definitely needs the physical strengthening aspects of it and could also use an opportunity to learn to lift her own feet with much less anxiety so that she can relax and maybe even enjoy those times when she's being trimmed or getting, you know, just having her feet picked out or something. But all of them, I think to me, the most important thing is, is the strengthening of their backs and the balance and, and, you know, maybe with Neve, Alex, you've mentioned it a few times, there might be some down the line, some additional skills because she seems to have really good range of motion already yes. and strength. So there might even be, 
benefits down the line if we want to try to do Spanish walk or we want to try PF someday. She might, she looks like she has the, the, the underlying, you know, physical abilities for it. So, so there's a lot there that's really exciting. And it's really fun to have three different horses to do this with yes, too. It's yes. really interesting. Yes. <laughs> it's really interesting. And, and just to sort of flesh out the picture for people, because so Pearl's a mini, Rowan is a Morgan and Neve is a, an Arab. So three very different breeds as well. Temperaments. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then while we're introducing horses, so Sonia, why don't you introduce Winsy? Yes, <laughs> Winsy is always uh, is also a mini, and he has some stifled issues with his left hind leg. And this is an important thing for him to lifting his hooves because it depends on so much things. The day, the weather, how has he walked before lifting his feet? Is it warm? Has he some back issues? It's I always go with a free mind and ask him, can you lift this foot for me today at this time? And even if he is possible to, to lift his foot, Sometimes it's not for a long time. So I have to be very aware what is he doing? How is he reacting? Is his head moving? Is his tail switching? And and just let him down when he's not able to lift his foot anymore. So it's very important for me to see him in his day situation. So it's not well, you know how to pick up your feet. You yeah. should be able to do this. Yeah. And with Winsy, you have very much built your relationship and all of your training around the conversation so that Winsy absolutely understands that he can participate and he can also say, I can't do this today. No. And that may be something that we want to talk about more fully as we move into this conversation, how that develops, how you get to that point where it is such clear, clear and welcomed communication. It is absolutely okay for Winsy to say, you know, today is not the day for us to be working on whatever it is. And so Svenja, why don't you introduce Darian then? He's introduced kind of similar to Sonia's Vinzi, although he's an Arab barb. He's about 16 hands, and so there's a lot more horse to him than, than a mini. <laughs> but he also has issues with his stifles, so especially the right one, but also a little bit the left one. And it's very similar. It's depending on the day and the situation, what he can or can't do. And actually talking about leg lifts, so especially when we trim his hooves, that becomes very apparent. So so each time we do that is a bag of surprises. So yes. beforehand, I cannot say it's not about him having manners or not. It's really about what he can do at that time on that day. And it doesn't even depend on his mood. It must be something else. And what I think is really interesting is, so I have someone trimming who has a feeling for him and has an agreement that, for example, when he starts pulling his leg away, she'll give him his leg because she knows he's only doing that 
when he can't stand anymore. Mm. So, so she gives him his hoof, then he can relax a little bit and then they start over again. And that's very helpful because they never pull against one another. Usually he'll just have no weight on anyone lifting his feet. He's carrying them all by himself. And she's usually very impressed also by that because it doesn't matter which hoof, she, she doesn't feel the weight of it in her hand. But when he starts pulling or she can feel there's a loss in balance, she'll leave him to it and let him rebalance. And that's something that is really, really valuable in those kind of situations as well. Yeah. So we have some very complex horses physically that are helping us to shape this conversation. And since Peregrine had the stifle issues, I'm very familiar with much of what we're talking about in this and how much from one day to another, it can vary. And I know certainly back in the day when we had shoes on him, as soon as the shoes came off, his stifles would lock, lock hard and fast. And so being able to have him release his leg enough so that he could pick it up for the ferry to work on it, that was not something that was under his direct control. They can have the, just the best will in the world. Darian could be saying, I'm in a really great mood, but right now you're asking me to pick up my hind foot and my stifle is locked and I can't. So it is definitely a complicating factor in all of this. I think this brings up the different kinds of no's that we can get from our horses And there was a conversation in the online clinic about this because you can get a no, no, I can't do this or I won't do this because I don't understand what you're asking me. You can get a no because I'm physically unable to do it. I'm hurting. Yes. Um, And you can also get a no because I don't really want to do this right now. My friends are being turned out. The conversation started in the course with someone who wanted to talk about choices and the kinds of no's that you could get from a horse who today doesn't want to wear the fly mask because there's not enough flies to offset the annoyance of having the mask on. So it's just a no. Today, I prefer not to have the mask on. So those are all different kinds of no's. No's I'm hurting. No, I prefer not to. No, I don't understand. I think it's good to be aware of the different kinds of no's that your horse is showing you. Yes, yes, definitely. And we we will circle back, Lucy, to the, the Feldenkrais aspects of all of this. But Sonia, do you want to jump in and share anything on the different kinds of no's? Because Winsy is so very, very clear. And and you've been doing that really fun project with him on the discrimination in the match to sample. And there are those days where he says, no, I don't want to play this game. And then a short while later, it's, oh, yes, absolutely. Let's play. So you have, I think, a very rich conversation with him in which yeah. all of those no's at times come into play. Yeah, that's right. And it's so important for him that he knows that I see him. 
and that I am aware of his situation. I don't know what he has done for the last 12 hours. I haven't seen him. Which problems he had with his friends or is something going on on his back or stifle or I don't know. So I am there and I have my plans and that's fine. And he's uh, most of the time is very motivated, but he has some situations where he don't want to play this game with me, but maybe another game. So it's, um, it's important for me to see him and to let him know that I see him and I can change my plans. It's, it's no a big deal for me. It's, well, yes, it would be nice to play with this, but okay, it's also okay to play this session. Uh, this in this setting it it's a two-way conservation conversation yes yes and And it's yes why do i have to to tell him what we are doing this day he is always he can also say to me i like to play this thing and you have you have such a rich repertoire and it's not as though you're limited to, oh, this is the only thing I know what to do with a horse. So if you don't want to participate in the match to sample lesson that I have set up, I have nothing else that we can do together today. I mean, yeah. you've got so many other things, which means that he has other ways of having a social relationship with you and gaining reinforcement from you. And that's all really yeah. important. Can I ask a question? Because I, so first of all, you have a really large repertoire of things you can choose from and you can offer him to do, but can you describe how you ask him what else he wants to do? Well, sometimes he tells me what he would like to do because I have a setting maybe for the match for sample. There's a gymnastic mat and there's a bowl and there's some cones and uh, other targets and a mat, and we have a beginning setting, and sometimes he won't stay on the mat and just go on to the gymnastic mat, maybe. This is one thing he can show me. No, Metro Sample is not the thing I would like to play, but some fun gymnastics on the mat, and the other, and then the gymnastic mat. And this is the time where he cues me. He tells me, I would like to do this other thing. And if I reinforce this, it's rewarding him for being able to to ask me some other things. But it depends on the setting we are playing around. Sometimes he has not those possibilities to show me. But we have always in the setting a mat where we begin the session where we end the session and where we go to when we do some resting and when he wants to go to the mat when we are in the session I know because of his behavior that he is not that (laughs) comfortable (laughs) with the things we are doing so I 
just asking something, some other things. Yeah, but it's that has developed over the time. With Darian, I've experienced similar things. And it's what I feel is interesting with the situation with the mat you just described is the horse does not in the future always choose the mat. They actually keep having the choice. It's just a way of communicating. So the behaviors that we teach become the behaviors that our horses use to communicate with us. And somebody from the outside looking in would say, oh, well, this is just nonsense. You know, your horse is going over to stand on the, the stack of mats that you have instead of going to the map that you had intended and participating in the match to sample. And you're just letting him get away with that. And when you reinforce him for going to the gymnastic mat, all he's going to want to do is go to that because that's where you bribe him with cookies. You sent me one video that was just priceless because you were setting up and Lindsay made it really clear with his behavior that match to sample was not going to be what he wanted to do that day. And we were sort of puzzling through the process for him because the biggest puzzle was how do you set it up so that it stays physically comfortable for him given his stifle issue and doesn't have doesn't have an energy cost in terms of he's just indicated the correct object, but now he has to go back to the base position. How do we set that up so that it stays physically comfortable for him? So you're puzzling through some things and you could say, well, did we just confuse him totally with all of the things that you were trying? But no, it was simply, today's not the day to do match to sample. I don't want to do geometry today. I'd rather read Pride and Prejudice, but I don't want to do my history lesson. So today I didn't want to do match to sample. I wanted to do something else. And in that same video, at another point, he went right over and said, it's match to sample. Can we play match to sample? So it was really clear that it wasn't because you had been confusing him or it wasn't because you let him get away with not and that he could go to the gymnastic mat. Instead, it was just for whatever reason, and we don't really know what that reason was. It was just not the day for match to sample. It's the same thing when with my horses where I give them the option of going to the mounting block. And if they don't go to the mounting block, we don't ride. And somebody could look at that and say, oh, well, they'll, you'll never get to ride then. And that's absolutely not the case. So, Alex, I was going to jump in and echo what you just said and what Sonia was describing. I've got maybe four behaviors we're working on. And so I'll have them set up like stations. And I always find it fascinating how the horses will indicate which one they want to work on by going yes. to the station. And then we can work on that a little bit. And then I might ask, can we do this now? And, you know, they may come over and do that with me. Or I may start by saying, you know, I have this intention. I'm going to start with leg flexions. And Rowan is notorious for this one. Rowan loves multiple mats. So I always have a few mats set up for multiple mats. And Rowan will say, no, no, multiple mats. And we'll go over... <laughs> You know, he said that somebody yeah. from the outside looking in might be like, well, if you keep rewarding and letting her go there, but I find actually 
that's not the case. I'll go over and play multiple mats with her because she gets to have that choice. We'll play multiple mats. And then when I ask, can we go back to this station? She'll say yes and come back over, you know, maybe not every single time, but I often find that giving all my horses some choice in the matter, they're more willing to say, okay, it's really kind of amazing to watch the moods. Like you said, sometimes it's not that like, I always go right to like, oh, I, I've set something up to confuse them, or I'm not, I'm not thin slicing this well enough, but sometimes it's just, you know, man, I love multiple mats and that's where I want to start today. (laughs) You know, says Rowan. (laughs) So, so I think it's interesting. And I I would say that for those of us who are maybe just getting started, or you hear those old tapes of the way you were taught, you know, our old past reinforcement and conditioning, it it can be a bit of a leap of faith to say, well, what would happen if I just let this horse be an individual and say, you know, I really like this activity right now. And I want to do this, what would happen? And time and time again, I'm always like delighted. The world doesn't fall apart the way some people might have you believe that you're going to create a mess or something. Really, it creates a lovely dialogue and helps us know our, our, our learners even better. So yeah, this is a great, great reinforcing conversation oh. to play with it. You know, why shouldn't they have preferences? Yeah. They have preferences. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Things that they do that we've reinforced really well, they will become favorite games. Things that physically feel good to them will become favorite games. Things that make sense to them will become favorite games. Why shouldn't they have preferences? We have preferences. Great words, Lucy. (laughs) And it's so true. And I would like to add that a no is, in this situation, is not an always and forever no. It's just in this situation. And maybe it will turn into a yes when you have done something else before. No is not something that we have to take personally. We have to feel as though we're somehow at fault in all of that. No, it's just not at the moment. I just want to add, because you mentioned, well, we, we just talked about a traditional mindset that we might have about letting the horse get away with some with something. But when I started out with clicker training, one thing I learned as you also just mentioned, is that, you know, we teach them things, they become their favorite. And, you know, you have your reinforcement history and the the behaviors you've reinforced the most, those are going to be the ones that are offered. So when I started clicker training, I was actually afraid of doing that. So so when I was just mentioning the, the mat thing, you know, the horse is walking over to the mat, you're reinforcing that. And in the end, you have a bigger reinforcement history on going to that mat. So I was afraid that my horse would choose that just because I've reinforced it. It's not a, I I was afraid it was not a preference thing, but it was something where I would get stuck in that one behavior that I've reinforced. So what I want to say is it's not just a traditional mindset we might have, but also depending on who we've started to learn from, it's really hard to have that confidence that the horse is going to engage in other behaviors with us because there are preferences and because it's sometimes it's just the mood of the day. And sometimes, you know, like those kind of things, it's, I, I felt it was really hard to trust into this conversation rather than the horse is doing what I reinforce them for. 
this also cycles us back to the original comment from Lucy about the difference between stimulus control and thinking of these sessions as a Feldenkrais session, because you're absolutely right that you can get a behavior way out of balance. And so one of the guiding principles of this training is for every exercise you teach, there's an opposite exercise you must teach to keep things in balance. And when we start out in the training, when you're teaching those six foundation lessons, so you're teaching targeting and grown-ups and head lowering and going to a mat and happy faces and backing. And I think I got them all. I may have left one out, but there are six of them. And that as you teach those behaviors, they balance one another and you learn how to keep them in balance so that when you ask for, say, head lowering, the horse isn't going, oh, no, 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 no. It's backing. Every answer is backing. I, I only do backing. I give backing. Where backing is is way, way, way out of balance. And and you could be saying, oh, well, Alex talked about preference. And I guess my horse has a preference for backing. So I should just allow my horse to back. Even though I asked her to drop her head, today she's showing me that she has a preference for backing. That's not where this conversation sits. So we have taught a basic understanding of those core behaviors. And we have learned as handlers how to balance one behavior with another. And we have base behaviors. So you have grown-ups. And grown-ups, you know, where you, you fold your hands and the horse goes into stillness. And that folding of your hands in front of you is a cue for the horse to go into stillness. It's also a wonderful off switch that turns off backing and head lowering and leg flexions and all these other behaviors that your horse could be flinging at you and where it could feel as though you're way out of control. You know, you can say, I think right now we're going to turn all of those off and we're going to go into calmness because I need to take a deep breath and think about where we are. And the same thing with mats, that mat training is not complete until you have brought mats into balance and where the mat does not exert a tractor beam effect on your horse that overwhelms everything else. That part of mat training is being able to walk to a mat, to walk with you to a mat, to go to a mat, to stand on a mat, to wait on a mat without being constantly monitored that the horse is on the mat. And then when you ask that you can leave the mat and that as you leave the mat, your horse is not dragging you to the, you know, like a Borg ship with a tractor beam on it, that the horse is not dragging you to the next mat, that you've brought all of these behaviors into balance. And so this conversation that we're having where we are saying there is another layer into the training where we're looking at the science of the training, which is where stimulus control sits, where you give a cue for backing, the horse backs up. You give a cue for grown-ups, the horse goes into stillness. There is this understanding, this back and forth communication that occurs there.
And then there is the art where we have confidence that the horse understands the behavior well. And normally, well, the horse goes to the mat. Normally, when I ask for head lowering, he lowers his head. Normally, when I set up the match to sample the props, he goes right over to the mat and is ready for the match to sample game. But right now, I'm seeing something different. I really finally want to circle back to the Feldenkrais part, because what I really like about that approach is that when you have one of those days where you, let's say, ask for head lowering and you just get a small bit and you don't get it like... Because again, when I started clicker training, I was taught, you know, you're kind of always raising your criteria and you have a certain picture in your head, what your behavior is supposed to look like, but approaching it in a way that I'm feeling into the movement, I can also go back and say, okay, maybe today is not the day where the nose goes to the floor, but I can see how much head lowering I can get because lowering the head from a certain position will probably still be possible, but let's see how much range of movement there is. And then you go into conversation with the horse and then usually you can get the behavior you were asking from, but maybe it doesn't look the way it did yesterday, but because you have this feeling for the movement and you're more focused on the process of head lowering, rather than outcome of the final behavior, it also enables you to get what you've been asking for. Yeah. What Svenja was saying was really compelling as I'm thinking about my experience recently with leg flexions and playing with the Feldenkrais piece of it. And what popped into my head is, you know, we have a set of scientific principles like stimulus control that describe how we build a behavior and how the learner goes through the process of learning that behavior. But then we also have this Feldenkrais practice, which talks about how we experience bodies and balance and development of strength, for example. And so there's this space where so much of what we're trying to build in a behavior is subject to what's going on in the animal's body. And I think where this becomes a really fascinating overlap is when do I need to allow more space for the body exploration or just, you know, it takes time to develop muscle. It takes time to develop coordination. And when we're talking about not imposing our own ideas of how that coordination will develop, because how can I, I'm not my horse. I'm not my dog. I'm not another person. I only know my own experience in my body. And sometimes I don't even know that well, because, you know, we get habitual, right? right? And so how do I impose that on another being and say like, well, you, cause I, I think this also relates. Somebody was saying, was it Sonia or Svenja, whoever has the wonderful farrier that trusts that the horse needs the leg back? Like, like my farrier will just say like, oh, he, she's pulling back because she doesn't want to cooperate when, you know, I don't think that's the case. I think the horse is trying to say, I can't do that right now. And so how am I to say like, you know, to my horse, to Pearl, no, you need to have developed your leg flexion to this place and give it to me right now when her muscles might just not really be there. They might need three more days or, you know, 10 more repetitions. I don't know, (laughs) Nor nor does she really. So this piece where we can maybe realize as the 
human teacher that right now what we're stage we're in is we're developing the coordination we're developing the balance we're exploring right now and then when you start to see that you're getting closer to the behavior that you want under stimulus control then you can kind of shift into that mode and it sort of evolves it becomes part of that whole process it's just realizing you have another tool in your toolkit to talk about so I just, it's, it's really, really cool. <laughs> you know, it makes me feel, you know, like I have tools, like, okay, I don't have to be like, oh, my horse is being bad and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, my horse made me need time to explore their body, to explore this movement. And once we get there, we have other tools to make sure that we now can polish it and have it be predictable. Just to make sure that everyone's following, I want to give an example, concrete example of what we're talking about. So one of the, the, the image that I have about this conversation was that you were at, asking for a leg lift and the horse was offering not the leg you were asking for, he was offering another leg and should I click or not? And And that's when we got into all this discussion. And and the answer was, well, yes, in some instances, you should click. It's okay to click. So just so people have a maybe clearer idea of the situation. I know that for me, one of the other part of this was that if I'm standing on my right leg and you ask me, to lift my right leg, I can't do it right away. I need to shift my weight to my left leg and then I can give you my right leg. So it's possible that you're asking the wrong leg. It's not that the the horse is giving you the wrong leg, it's just you're asking for a leg that is not yet available. For me, the way I see it, it's still okay to click if he lifts the if I lift the left leg, because that's part of what comes before I can offer you yes. my right leg. I need to unsh- unweight my right leg, and so it's the correct answer. So I will first do this shift, and then I can give you my right leg, and so. Sometimes it's not that they're giving you the wrong answer. It's just that they're the wrong, the right answer is not available and they need to do a few things before. And because they have four legs, you know, sometimes they need to back up or they need to take another step before they can offer you this step. And so I see it as what comes before what comes before. As that, well as the body exploration. That that's a really good way of describing it. You know that we are, we're going micro, and we're looking at the smaller step, and we are indeed looking for the what comes before, what comes before, the the thing that we want to click and reinforce. So they are absolutely not giving us a wrong answer. Mm-hmm. You describe it beautifully. They are giving us a step in the direction of the outcome that we're looking for. And we are recognizing that Mm -hmm. progression. So otherwise we would be lumpy. Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And just a few words to the Feldenkrais thinking. I'm doing Feldenkrais for nearly 10 years now, and I have nearly every week a group session. And nearly every week, I have a different starting point. It depends on what was ongoing in my working situation today at the stable or in my private life. So it's I, I can't expect when I'm going to Wincy that he will have the same starting point where we have stopped last week, maybe. It's not possible, I think. Yes. Yeah. And Svenja, what are you going to throw into the mix? It's it's really more a conclusion. So while we were talking about micro, like where the weight is when we're starting to ask for the leg lift, that's very micro, right? And in the beginning, we would try to set the situation up in a way that makes it as easy as possible for the horse. So we'll have a look at how they are standing and then maybe ask for the leg where the weight is not on. But I think it's important that we keep in mind that then we also have to teach the same behavior with different preconditions. So like when you have your weight on that leg, you need to do something else before you lift this one up because it's not going to be possible. And that's exactly one of those things where I think it's, well, especially for Darian, for example, it's very, very helpful. So he, he's got his stifle issues. And the, the first thing I need to pay attention to is, does he have to rearrange his body to answer to any of my requests? Like backing up, for example, would be a really difficult one. And I would, depending on the day, I would click very early before the first step happens because I can see he rearranged his body and he got the right idea about what I was asking for, and then I'll click. And then for the next repetition, I would wait a little longer, but I will not every time ask for three steps. It's that's that's not what I'm doing. But what I was thinking about while I was listening to you was, this reminds me of the generalization. So when we're talking about there's, one situation where I teach my horse a behavior, I cannot expect that horse, even if that's a very, very safe behavior that we've done a million times at home in the arena, I cannot expect that to be something the horse can do when I'm outside and there's something scary going on. So I have to generalize in different situations that it's still the same behavior I'm asking for, yes. but it's different preconditions that I'm looking at. And when we're looking at this through Feldenkrais eyes, I think that's just a micro generalization we're looking at. Like we're looking at a body in a different precondition. And then somehow out of that condition, I need to get into the movement I want to do. And sometimes that's possible and sometimes it's not. So I, that's, that was just an idea I got listening to you. And that relates very directly to the riding. Say you're working on transitions and you're working on setting up a canter transition, for example. And so you're organizing the horse's balance within the walk. You feel a really good moment to ask. 
who ask for the up transition. The horse begins to jump up into the canter. And in that first stride or two of the canter, you click and the horse stops. And he reaches around, he gets his treat. And now you're going to set up for another canter to part. And he's not in exactly the same balance starting point that he was in for the previous canter to part. This is a new situation. And so he gets himself organized. You find a good moment. Maybe it takes several strides. He finds a good moment for you to ask for the canter to part again. You ask. He picks up into a canter. You go a couple of strides. You click. He stops. Reaches around for the treat. And again, he's not in exactly the same balance as he was in the previous starting points. So he's figuring out that the canter is very much the hot behavior of the day, that that jump up into the canter is getting clicked and reinforced. And he's learning how to get to that clickable moment from lots of different starting point balances. When we talk about movement cycles, that a movement cycle has a discrete beginning and end and a movement cycle is complete when you're in position to repeat the behavior again. But since we don't produce carbon copies, in a sense, the starting point is always different. When you clicked and gave him a treat, his head might be an inch or two higher, lower, more to the left, more to the right than it was in the previous iteration. And so when you start a new cycle, his starting point is a little bit different. And it's all of those experiences of how do I find my way back into that movement cycle that enriches the repertoire and is very much related to that Feldenkrais experience. You know, what you're describing right there, Alex, with the, say, the example of the canter departs and the upward transition, there's this other piece of it. I definitely see, as Dominique was describing with my horses, when they're offering me a different leg, I can see very clearly how that's like a reset for them to then pick up the leg that I asked for. And with the canter depart example you gave, the horse is finding its way to its own starting place. So that's yes. that process of the horse discovering and owning their own understanding of their body. But I also find the two-way street of the dialogue that happens in the development of the cue for the handler. Like this yes. is where it's starting to get really exciting for me is this level of communication that starts to develop. If you're in a place of we're just exploring right now, we're in this exploration zone and developing the awareness. I mean, that's really what comes out of it is you start to see as the observer and the handler, I'm starting to notice too. And I can imagine in my body, if I were the rider with those upward transitions, I would be trying to pay really close attention to what is the moment when the yeah. horse is able to give it to me? What did the balance feel like? That was the good balance, which makes you a more, you know, I mean, just a better, more sensitive rider and ultimately a, a team that's really knows each other really well. And that's so satisfying, you know, to just experience the two-way street develop. The horse gets better and better and better at 
get finding himself in that organized, balanced position that allows him to jump up into the canter and get clicked and reinforced. He gets better at it. The rider gets better at recognizing the organizational process that the horse is going through. Yeah. And you both become better and better and better at recognizing the what comes before, what comes before the thing you want to click. So that if you need to support and click the, I can feel you, under, <laughs> you know, I can feel that you are setting up for what I want to ask. And I'm going to reinforce that. Yeah. We're, we're thinking along the, the same lines. Let me reinforce the beginning, that beginning. And, Which becomes and, more reinforcing for both both parties then too like then we're like oh this is just all fun (laughs) yeah Yeah. so Dominique I saw you jotting something down and so we're talking about being better and better at knowing what comes before yeah so I'm curious to know how the participants would would you say that you in terms of where the weight is and what the movement, what comes before the movement you're asking, would you say you're always on target? You always know exactly where the weight shift is right now? Or would you say sometimes I do and sometimes I'm I'm not on target? I, I don't know. I'm, I'd be curious to know how people feel about that. I'm getting better. And I mean that in terms of, you know, when you're filming your sessions and you see more and more of the behavior you want to get. So I feel it's like that. So in the beginning, I was quite clueless. And today I would say I was lumping while I was still, it was very small steps I was clicking, but really getting a feeling for that, what comes before it it improves and it depends on the particular movement I'm trying to teach. So I'm now very good, I would say, compared to before, I'm now very good in teaching backing because I've done that a lot with this method. But that doesn't mean that I'm similarly good in teaching shoulder in because I don't know yet what that movement would be that I need to see. I, I know, yeah, like all of those details is really you learn with that individual horse for that particular movement that you have. It it does translate somehow to other horses because of the anatomy they have, but not entirely because they all have these small details in their joints that are different. So I know for Darian, for example, one thing that is important for him is to get a certain angle with his hip and stifle joints so that he can relax and then take a step without the knee becoming not like there's there's a certain instability that is that is coming in and he needs a certain angle he needs to put his leg into but that would be different for my other horse which would still be different compared to to other horses so it's really also getting to know that individual but I'm getting better at guessing so I don't know about the others I have um, improved through the years but 
I'm not a machine. <laughs> and Wincy isn't also a machine, so it's not that technical. We all do uh, faults, and sometimes you are so aware of, okay, can I see the little movements, and then I have to click, and you maybe there's the moment passed away, and it's okay. Open your heart and open your mind and love your pony <laughs> that's okay <laughs> you don't have to be perfect it's always good to to train and to to improve and I, of course i want to to make wincy healthy and take him through good through his life but i and i think he wants that too i want to have fun with him what a perfect place to jump in and bring this part of the conversation to a close. There's lots more still to come, but I think this conversation has brought us to some important conclusions. I love Svenja's summary that when we go micro, we're creating generalizations across a broad range of preconditions that lead to a desired action. And that's another way of thinking about the art of training. So really, the art and the science of training are very interconnected. This is one way of interpreting what we mean when we say we are translating the Feldenkrais work to horses. And then, of course, there's Sonia's beautiful and perfect statement, open your heart, open your mind, and love your pony. That's truly the perfect way to end for today. I should, of course, add in the reminder that I've just published a new book. This time it is not one on horse training. It's a children's book, Teddy's to the Rescue. You can read about it in my website, theclickercenter.com. Go to the Bear Hollow Press section of my website. And you can also read the story behind the writing of these books uh, in my blog, theclickercenterblog.com. If you have young people in your life, or like me, you simply enjoy children's books, then do please take a look. You can order Teddy's to the Rescue through my website, and you can also get it from Amazon. Next time, we'll have part two of our panel discussion. So train well and have fun with your horses.